0: Hello and welcome to the first episode of Dairy Pod, our new dairy farming podcast. My name is Rory MacDonald and in the coming weeks and months, Gipps Dairy will be bringing you regular podcasts and discussions on various dairy farming topics. For this first episode, I'm delighted to say that our guest was highly respected dairy consultant John Mulvaney. Given the tight margins and increased costs on many farms at present, I started by asking John about marginal milk production and its importance. Um, So, I suppose I'll start off by asking you to explain the difference between what is marginal milk effectively? um,
1: It's an interesting question. I was asked exactly the same question by a major processor recently, so um, even though we assume everyone knows what marginal milk is, uh, to define it clearly is really important. I I think the way I'd describe it would be, if you pictured a vat of milk, of 10,000 litres or 700 kilos of milk yep. solids um, if we said 30 to 40% of that vat has actually come from supplement yep. you know, and we can split the supplement into purchase supplement or home homegrown supplement but the, the thing that's always been debated in the industry has been how much do I spend on Im- importing purchase feed? Yep. Uh, it's, for 30 years, I've stood around and heard farmers debate it. And I think 30 years ago, we, we didn't have a clear understanding of it. Mm-hmm. We were scared of it. Words like substitution, uh, the, the Department of Ag at the time was, you know, anti-grain, anti-supplement. Yeah. And back in those days, we... People didn't feed
0: much grain. Yeah,
1: yeah. 10%. Yeah. So marginal milk. So the definition of marginal milk to me is the milk created by purchase feed. And it's different to pasture-based milk. So 30 years ago, it might have been 5 or 10%. Now, if I float from Tasmania to northern New South Wales, or WA, yep. the marginal milk will go from about 20% to about 50%. Okay. Now, that's, that's on a state basis. Even within Gippsland, or if we said Gippsland and Western Victoria, mm-hmm. it would float from 20% to 55%. Yeah, between farms.
0: And would you get farmers that are less than twenty percent, or are they becoming more of a un, unusual kind uh, of? Occurrence you're now
1: is? into the two percent range. Yeah, right the, now, that that really people will regard those farmers. Uh, uh, people will be judgmental and go, yeah. "Well, they're dinosaurs. Yeah. They really haven't kept up with things." No, 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 no. They're, they're not. Some of them and there was a classic farmer, a very smart farmer in Tasmania who six months or so ago said to me, "I don't do marginal milk." Yep. Now, that comment in itself um, is a very, very intelligent comment because what it's saying is, "I understand marginal milk." yeah." And he then tacked on to the end of that comment, but it's too risky, yeah. So, you know, what do the financial investment people, what's the phrase they always use? Risk and return go together.
0: Yeah, higher risk, possibly higher return in theory, Uh, but not uh, always either. Not always.
1: It's just volatility. So we have to treat marginal milk in exactly the same way. Now, one important thing about marginal milk is um, it is marginal. We want it to be marginal and we want it to be discretionary. Yeah. In other words, we do not want to be locked in to yeah. having to produce. So we to want produce. the ability
0: to, to turn it on and off as we Yeah, Ma- we maybe
1: not the extreme of turning it on and off uh, because that links to cow type and there yeah. are certain types of cows that don't like being turned yeah. off, right? Now, that's a separate issue, but certainly we want to be able to moderate our level of marginal milk um, in relation to what we perceive to be its profitability yep. right Now if we and it's very topical at the moment if if we went to regions of Australia where there is no mar- th- there is no discretionary ability you just have to have marginal yep. milk. You're locked in you're locked in. Yeah. So if we picked northern Victoria or um, western Australia where they have a very narrow grass growth, window. Yeah. Um, they have to produce some marginal milk. Yeah. Right. Now, it's better if you don't have to if you've got discretionary ability, which is why we tend to sit at this this optimum level of between twenty and forty yep. percent as marginal milk because we can float You know, and when it's not as profitable, we can float back to the twenty percent zone, and when it's really profitable, we can float up to the forty percent zone. And if we, and I think a lot of people um, haven't quite picked this up, we've got two contrasting years at the moment. Yeah. In 1718, a lot of regions had uh, poor grass growth. Yeah. Um, so therefore the decision is, do I let production drop or do I produce marginal milk? We'll never be as profitable as we could have been if we had a Better great Russell. season. Yeah. So, so given that we haven't got that as an option, what's our next best position? And in 1718, um, milk price was about $5.80. Yeah. Grain was still about 300 bucks
0: a tonne. Much cheaper than it is at the moment? Yeah,
1: so, if I, so if you lock those two figures away and let's call it six bucks just to make the maths easy yeah. six hundred cents a kilo and three hundred dollars a ton now as soon as I see those two figures straight away I think there is a dollar in marginal milk yeah,
0: there's an opportunity there.
1: There is an opportunity and people will laugh at when I quote this return on investment but I think the return on investment could be 50%. Okay, Okay. Now that's pretty significant. Very significant. World. Now that 50% return on investment in grain services a lot of debt. Yeah. Okay, so if you're running a highly geared dairy farm, high debt dairy farm, yeah. you have to push opportunities. Take advantage s- of opportunities like take that. Take advantage of opportunities well, yeah. yeah. To basically appease all the cash draining yep. departments in your yep. business, so that was um, seventeen eighteen, and and when we look back on the data of seventeen eighteen, and I've had quite a few clients who have said to me, um, "Gee, we fed a lot of grain." Well, yeah, because particularly in Western Victoria, yeah. it was a shocking, shocking six months; it didn't yeah. rain from November to uh, May almost should we have fed that grain now if you actually do the analysis on it yes they made made good money out of feeding that grain
0: and there was also benefits I guess in terms of keeping their cows in better condition which may have had effects going into the next lactation yeah look I I think that
1: um, that's a bonus and and whenever we go back through history and look at um, extreme seasonal conditions and people who try and preserve their system within within 80 80 percent of what it was in other words in tough years i always love the comment a a young client said to me very good dairy farmers very profitable and she said in a tough year every part of our business suffers yeah the cows will be a little bit lighter the bank balance will would be a bit uglier yeah we won't have as good a holiday, so in other words, yeah. we spread that toughness.
0: So, so basically, you if it's a tough year, you're going to feel the pain somewhere, like yeah. you can't yeah. avoid it yeah. to an extent. By
1: trying to preserve the system physically perfectly, yeah. you push all the problems into the financial corner yeah. and you feel severe financial pain. Yeah. By spreading it across the business, you don't feel pain in one area yeah. quite so much. So, seventeen eighteen was a year where marginal milk to me was highly profitable, but but people don't identify it because it's one vat full of milk, right? Yeah. Um, now, moving to eighteen nineteen, we're talking a milk price which is a little bit better, twenty yeah. cents a kilo. So, six hundred cents a kilo. I'm now talking five hundred bucks. Concentrate in some areas, and, and I'm just yeah being that's that's pretty know, um, pretty reasonable.
0: I think a pretty accurate
1: reflection of what's So, thinking. so this year, I think the return on purchase feed is probably um, marginal. Yeah, and that's a nice vague comment. So let's be more specific. I think the return on investment in grain this year on an efficient, and we need to define the efficient feeding dairy farmer as opposed to the production-focused dairy farmer. But on on an efficient feeding dairy farm this year, the economics are saying that you're going to have to be good to get a return on supplements, so you're going to have to feed smart. If you do that, I think the return on the investment is likely to be 10%.
0: Yeah, so, so small so I'm talking, enough, like, relative yeah, to last small, year. small,
1: but the point you made yeah. before about condition, yeah. we'll have cows in pretty good nick. Yeah. The margin that is created, that has been servicing debt on our dairy farm in previous years, from this opportunity, yeah. this year that margin's not there.
0: It's going to be used for other but purposes. It's tiny.
1: Well, the margin's not there. Yeah.
0: So the debt that was serviced with that margin last year may have to be restructured potentially, or something else, some other options. Absolutely. To on the front, yeah. yeah. Now,
1: now that may sound obvious,
0: yeah.
1: But it's been really interesting that when you sit, and I've sat with quite a few people, particularly Western Victoria, New South Wales, and Gippsland this year, who've said we're struggling to pay bills this year. Yeah. And you you say, yeah, but remember you produce You're trying to pay the same bills you paid last year. You're trying to pay the same bills you paid last year and you produce a big chunk of marginal milk. And marginal milk has got incredible volatility and profitability. So the hundred thousand dollar profit from feeding grain that you had last year is ten grand this year. Yeah. So therefore principal reduction in debt
0: so would be difficult. You could argue then, John, that over a number of given years in the dairy industry given the volatility in, in climate and, and input prices and, and milk prices that you're never going to f- pay the same amount of debt off year on year on a consistent level. You have to be willing to go with the flow and go up and down depending on what seasonal conditions are.
1: Depending upon your level of marginal milk
0: production. Yeah. Yeah. That's
1: correct. And now we're talking about the big settings of the business which which I think compared to 20 years ago, I've got a much more crystal clear
0: understanding yeah, What would you call the big settings of the business to define them? Sir?
1: Okay. Um, and and when, you, when you talk to really good dairy farmers about this, they, they almost look at you as if you're talking about something so obvious. Yeah. Because to them, they've got this intuitive skill to put it all together. Yeah. But the beauty of my life in the last particularly three or four years is I mean, like in this helicopter floating across dairy in Australia, yeah. right, and you see farmers who've all ended up in the same spot with their big settings, almost as if, and the way I describe it is, they all met in Canberra, um, they all developed a model, and they all went home and put yeah. it in place. Now, that's not how, <laughs> that's not the last place you do it it's yeah, Canberra. Not yeah. <laughs> me. But. When we, when I talk big settings, I'm talking um, carving date, yep. or dates. You don't have to carve once a year, just yep. one period a year. So, carving date or dates. Um, stocking rate, yep. number of cows.
0: I think that's a key one. Really, yeah. Isn't it?
1: Given well, stocking rate is dictating almost level of imported feed. Yeah. Right. So level of imported feed, and type of animal milked. Yeah. Now,
0: if and those pasture growth curve, would you include that? As well, well,
1: the calving date
0: is driven by the that. pasture growth yeah. curve. Yeah. So,
1: again, when I've been doing these sessions um, around Australia recently, and people, the the other thing about different regions is, they all feel they're unique. Yeah. They're absolutely unique. But yeah. they're not. You know. So I hand the I hand the whiteboard pen to someone and say, Can you draw the pasture growth curve? Yeah. For here. And they you always have the discussion about well what's normal and whatever. Well just give us normal seasonal conditions. They draw the pasture growth curve and suddenly they start seeing the importance of producing milk
0: To match that To crunch. match the curve. Yeah.
1: Now that doesn't mean uh, late winter carving. Yeah. Right?
0: but it's different it, everywhere really isn't it yeah.
1: that's what I've been trying to tell processors yeah. for a long time, it's different everywhere so so if, if we lock those settings, of the big settings of the business in yeah. then there's a chance that marginal milk becomes discretionary yeah Okay. so given, given that we've done that given that we've done that, our next step is the ability to say what's smart feeding right because there's feeding that's not so smart and there's smart feeding
0: so you mentioned earlier actually on that feeding for production versus efficient feeding and you're kind of getting into that again yeah yeah yeah. and
1: and really that's what smart feeding is i think and again if, if if people have looked at phil shannon's um feeding pastures for profit or the daily line but but let's just describe it in in this way the position of optimum production yeah can never be the position of optimum profit yeah because at the position of optimum production for your last kilogram of concentrate in yeah it's not covering it's not being covered in return from extra milk
0: so that comes into almost the law of diminishing returns it's isn't the it? law of diminishing yeah.
1: returns and and now we're almost um and it's good when i have debates with phil about phil shannon about do we do arithmetic on this stuff or do we just use our eyeballs yeah now i think it's a bit of both right but when when i look at milk price and supplement price, I get an idea of um, what the external environment is telling me about how hard it's going to be to make money out of supplement. Yeah. If it's a year when that margin is going to be very, very tight, then immediately I think we can't afford to be pushing production too hard. Yeah because we will be right up the top of that law of diminishing returns. And let's just define the law of diminishing returns. For your first kilogram of concentrate into a dairy cow, you might get you know, 2 litres or, or, yeah, 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 1.2 litres, 1.3 litres litres, and I mean, it's very variable, all right, yeah, it's very, okay. And why, why is it very variable? Because it depends on how smart the feeding is the type of concentrate the type whole, of pro, range of thing. Yeah. whole range of things yeah. um, so the first kilogram we get a different response to the last kilogram hence the law of diminishing yeah. returns so if we overlay that with a very tight ratio of milk price to supplement price you can't afford to be at the top
0: yeah now
1: let's just uh, and I'm I'll, I'll pick extremes, but if I go to New South Wales where I was last week, I had a $7.50 milk price. Yeah. They were buying grain at $470 a tonne. So that's not a bad ratio. Not a bad ratio. So yeah. I would ex- be expecting them to push higher on the law of diminishing returns, but there is a big risk in that that if you sit there for too long and if you are not smart feeding yeah then you'll actually be losing money
0: do you believe in your experience in the industry that a lot of farmers are sitting there feeding without feeding efficiently but have highly productive cows across the in general across the industry uh, obviously that wouldn't be the case for everyone but
1: um, by by highly productive cows, you're saying our they're buck, pushing
0: yield without yeah. without being efficient feeders. Is that just kind of like what you described there.
1: Yeah, I I think you'll find, and you will know that if we go out into the real dairy population, and I always talk about the real dairy population as being different to the population you read about. Yeah, like they're not all peas in a pod dairy farms. There'll be the whole range there, but. There is no doubt that when you go to farms that um, that are pushing per cow production very, very high, yeah, that they are verging on the point of not smart feeding unless they are getting a special milk price and are getting supplements at a particularly low yeah. price.
0: Then, of course, another factor is substitution of pasture. Where can you often see on some of those farms that are doing that you know not all now there are some very good pasture managers that are doing what you described but but sometimes if you're adding a lot of grain in
1: you mentioned the word substitution yeah it's been a very nice discussion up until now yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) um when how, how do we observe substitution when we go onto a dairy farm tell me the physical observation
0: under grazed pastures maybe cows leaving a, a bit of poor quality forage behind or silage or, or pasture because they've been fed that extra yeah. kilo maybe in the dairy and, and that that that's not saying that it that's the case on every farm but but it does it does pop up and it is yeah, a scientifically I, proven thing substitution of, of grazed pasture
1: yeah it's interesting a lot of things are scientifically proven but when you float around the country to different when you float around yeah. the world to different nations if They've done the same experiment and come up with two different answers. Now, yeah, I'm not those. saying substitutions like that, but I used to be terrified of substitution. In yeah. fact, I think for 10 to 15 years, I advised people don't feed grain. Yep. Yeah. C- cows will substitute. Now, as we learn more and more about nutrition, there are different levels of substitution with different types of
0: green yeah,
1: yeah. well no don't go into the types of green yeah. yet let's just say different supp- yeah. supplements yeah. so I think I don't I don't use the word su- um, substitution except in relation to when we feed fibrous sup- supplements yeah so because because c- yeah, yeah. I know and the science says that and I think most sensible consultants go absolutely ape when farmers are feeding silage and we've got adequate pasture because cows will they're pretty smart and they like to vary their diets cows will eat a kilogram less pasture for every kilogram of fibrous feed that they eat so in other words it's direct and I agree completely there is nothing worse at the moment than going into a paddock and seeing canola hay strewn everywhere 30 or 40 percent of it yeah 30 or 40% just 40% just disappearing now. into the ground yeah yeah substitution with forages can be an advantage when we are trying to leave the right residual in a pasture so yeah. it can it can be a friend or that's a friend. right
0: if you were really highly stocked for example yeah, yeah
1: yeah 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 um, or if you were in Gippsland at the moment and you don't want cows to overgraze pastures yeah. or if
0: you were in somewhere like the McAllister irrigation district where yeah. a lot of the dry land uh, yeah. parts of the farm are, are the run out of water yeah. so, so I, I think the
1: important thing with concentrate and, and I've always, once I got over my hurdle of, of um, being terrified of grain, yeah. right, that it would wreak havoc in the industry, which it has to some extent, but once I got over that hurdle I, I could see that with sensible feeding, now yep. we've defined sensible feeding, we're not right up the top of the production really curve, efficient we're, we're, we're efficient feeding, feeding. Yeah. Yeah. that when I feed a kilogram of grain, I'll only drop pasture intake by probably 0.2 or 0.1 yeah. 0.15. So Which is acceptable. Very acceptable, yeah. if you look at the economics of that. Yeah. Um, so, and the other thing, of course, with grain and concentrate is there's no extra work, and utilization is very high
0: yeah so whereas if you're supplementing something like maize silage or a canola mm-hmm. hay or any other type of hay you've, you've got to actually go and jump in the tractor and and spend a couple of hours feeding that out every day and, and that's time and money as well yeah, yeah. to just having an extra pull of yeah dairy absolutely brain
1: yeah and, and that's why to some extent I'm probably not the biggest fan in the world of feed pads because in a pasture based system unless we absolutely need them, because it, I always yep. wonder if a cow comes out of the dairy and she consumes four kilograms of dry matter on the feed pad, yep. what's that going to do when we get down to the paddock and we're, we're consuming... Is she going to consume four kilos yeah, of yeah, feed she less she, in the paddock than yeah, she would have otherwise? And so it's interesting whenever I look at TMR systems, uh, farms that have been running TMR in conjunction sorry, running a mixer wagon system in conjunction with pasture, whenever yeah. we do the back calculation as to how much grass the cows should be eating, the figures never quite gel. Yeah. So that, it, that raises the issue of efficiency. So I think with... Particularly, I had two discussion groups running back probably 20 years ago, and a couple of those just lifted their grain feeding level. Okay. Now, the group actually split into...
0: The people who pretty, 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 pretty yeah. high
1: grain feeders, yeah. And the people who stayed with, uh, you know, half a ton to three quarter ton per yeah. cow, and we analysed it really carefully at the end of the year, Yep. And it was one of the most, one of the best learning experiences. We did it quantitatively, Yep. Plus we met on these farms every month from right? two farms in particular, and ever since then I thought, hang on, with, with, pretty good genetics, yep not incredibly good pretty good genetics and a good set of eyeballs about that position that we want to be in leaving pastures in so we don't want to be having high residuals all those sorts of things that good farmers do that there is certainly this huge opportunity in concentrate
0: feeding. Yeah. So you have when you say pretty good genetics, that's a cow that will respond to to genetics to, um, to, to, to feeding. To, sorry, to, to feeding. feeding to higher yeah. levels of feeding. Yeah. And but just not too much is what you're kind of seeing.
1: Well, yeah. The, that if yeah, um, if we get overly focused, which the industry has, yep. on the feeding regime, then we tend to operate at the optimum production position.
0: Yeah, or which can compromise other aspects yeah, of the system or we
1: tend to just simply not focus enough on pastures yeah. so if I had my way in the industry when a young person comes in I would say you are not allowed to feed concentrate until you're off your pea plates <laughs>
0: right that's a good way of putting and, it and, yeah. and so yeah. therefore you have to so you learn the basics first you have and get to focus them, yeah. on really
1: good pasture yeah pasture utilization so
0: you think that's a fundamental driver regardless of your system if there's pasture on the farm, you've got to utilise it. To yeah, the and, and, level. and that's
1: that's yeah. one of those almost motherhood statements, isn't it? Where yeah. pe- people will be going, oh, that's so obvious. Yes, it's obvious to you, but when I go around the country yeah. and I go, there's opportunity from, there. Yeah, I go from yeah. Tasmania, which Tassie just has this incredible focus on pasture yeah. utilisation. Right, I'll go to a farm in Tasmania. And weaned dairy calves will always be behind a strip grazer. Yep. Right, they'll be block grazed. I come to the mainland, you will never see, never see weaned that. dairy calves yep. behind a strip grazer. And without being. So Why just do you think that is, though? Like? Oh, this uh, this raises the issue of culture in dairy. Yep. Culture in dairy is incredibly
0: powerful, I'd say. Powerful.
1: Yeah. Mm, and it's something in the last two years I've really tried to drive home that. We're trying to change culture in New South Wales at the moment. Yeah. Right.
0: Well, the culture is very different there to Tasmania. Unbelievable. Or even Western Australia or even Victoria. They're, I think they're all pretty distinctive, really. Aren't
1: they? Well, it's really interesting that the two highest profit states, yeah. being Tasmania and WA, yeah. have the two best cultures. Yeah. Now, let's just find a good culture. A good culture in dairy farming is um, when you get a group of dairy farmers who understand the principles of profitable dairy farming, yep. as distinct from the fairy floss crappy discussion that you might have, you know, principles of uh, profitable dairy farming, have a really good focus on um, pasture. Yep. Um, and evaluate marginal milk really carefully and understand marginal milk really well. Yeah. Now, in Tassie, I, I, and I say this when I go to Tassie... How, how common is marginal milk in, in Tassie? Though? Well, well it's, it's it? interesting. Um, when you go to Tasmania, they will focus very heavily on having a low cost of production. Yeah. Now, I'm going to call that, for want of a better figure I'm just going to use $4.50 yeah right? they will have low levels of marginal milk and a lot of their advisors will be advising them don't feed grain it'll just increase your cost now my yeah. interpretation of that is some of them don't appreciate the opportunity Yeah, as we were talking about before so when I go to Tassie I will say for a slight increase in your cost of production, we could lift profit significantly.
0: Yeah, and they're at the bottom of that law. of diminishing returns. Yeah, they're at the bottom. they've got opportunity. They're not at the bottom, but maybe halfway up. They're not. Yeah. They're not at the top yet. Yeah. Now,
1: when you yeah. go to say WA, um, because their pasture growing window is quite narrow—six,
0: seven months, maybe uh, on a dryland farm—at the, the top, at the top, at yeah. tops,
1: it'll be five to six months. Yeah. Right. And, and cows, cows have 300-day day lactations, not 90-day lactations, which I wish they did, because yeah. then we'd <laughs> milk them all say. in spring. Yeah. So, so they will evaluate very carefully price of milk, price of supplement. Yeah. Okay. When you go to New South Wales, and, and I'm generalising, and I, I'll tell you about the Cultural Revolution in a minute, but because we're paid a lot for milk we tend to have drifted very much into a high supplementary feeding regime yeah and we tend to have taken our eye off the ball in trimming costs and focusing on pasture
0: so it's almost like would you say historically that it might be controversial to say this but that there's been a bit if the price has been higher and there's been a higher buffer there for farmers that they've they've taken their eye off the ball on some of the real efficiencies to to make the farm leaner and lower that cost of production.
1: Well, I think you've made a controversial statement, but I'd agree with it. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. You don't and, want and too much controversy No, here. no, no, <laughs> no. But, but what I am noticing in New South Wales, and I had a group in uh, in northern New South Wales about th- yeah, two weeks ago, and you could just see their lights go on yep. when we talked about marginal milk, we talked about the price of milk, the price of supplement, and we talked about if you can get a proportion of your milk from pasture yeah then what that's going to do to costs on the farm and what it does to profit
0: you could also argue john and follow up to that is that there's probably a greater opportunity in in a region like that where there might be still a bit of fat in the system you know historically and and that's exactly what's happening In, in new
1: south wales and and it's great to see um there is a little bit of a revolution going on with the younger generation who yeah. are coming in and saying, um, if we get pastures a bit better, and if we change our cow type a little bit, at this milk price and that supplement yeah, price, we can maybe. There's a bit of easy make, money Yeah, well, there's, easy money, money, there's, money there's, there's money to there. Be there made. Yeah, there's yeah. money to be made yeah. for sure. So I, I think this whole concept of marginal milk is really interesting because it's it's obvious. But in some ways, it's not so obvious, yeah. and and people tend to blend it all together. But when you say to them, um, and it still staggers me how many farms you go to, and quite a, quite a lot of them are big farms. Yeah. And they would use the expression to me when you explain all this and show them where their milk's coming from, they'll actually say things like, "We think we're pretty smart people, but we're not in it, We're not sure how we ended up here." Yeah. So, so you get drift in production systems, yeah. right? And if there's no cultural pressure to get you to question your drifting, it becomes culturally acceptable. Yeah. And 10 years down the track... It's you're more harder it totally, to change that. I and and yeah. I had yeah. a, a very large farm um, say to me recently when we did a complete review, the farmer's comment was, I can see precisely what I've done. Um, I have geared my whole business to um, getting eight good years in ten. Yeah. And by by a good year he means good season, low concentrate price, and a pretty good milk price. Even milk price, yeah. And he said, and in fact we're getting two good years in ten, and I'm burning financially.
0: Yeah. Because his settings in the business aren't quite right. Correct. it? Yeah. 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 Something I wanted to bring up as well. You mentioned the three or four kind of key drivers of of margin and milk there earlier, but you didn't mention milk price, and, and and I suppose to be more specific, chasing milk price. You know, because milk price fluctuates throughout the year. So you said, it's in particular, when you talked about the uh, calving period and and the start of yeah. calving, that should be driven by the pasture growth curve. Uh, in your, would you say that it should be driven more by the pasture growth curve on the farm than the actual milk price that's available, or is that a debate?
1: Uh, it's it, 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 a very long story, but we, let's turn the clock back. Um, in about 2006, 2007, around about that yep. period, um, I, I would get 20 farmers in a room and we'd look at our annual performance data. Yeah. Okay. And part of that would be that We'd look at milk price, and and I would always have these two farmers who sat next to each other on that analysis. And one was the first of March carver, and one was the first of August carver. Yep. And their milk price in Victoria. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and, um, their milk price was only twenty cents a kilo difference. And if you've ever seen that movie Groundhog Day, this conversation would occur (laughs) every year for about ten years. Oh, isn't that surprising? We covered oh, totally yeah, different times and we're only twenty only twenty cents. Yeah. Only twenty cents, right. Now that was a beautiful system to have because no farmer and let me say both those farmers were producing milk to suit their pasture growth curve. Okay. One was in a coastal area
0: of yeah. Yannarke. Yannoky, I think you mentioned that to me before. Yeah, yeah,
1: one was in Puwong. Yeah. Okay. Not a million miles from each other, Not but a very, miles, different, but very different, which highlights the difference in very pasture, growth pasture growth, growth yeah. curves. Yeah. Now that meant that the milk pricing structure encouraged each farmer to produce milk in a pattern that suited their natural resources, which gave them a chance of having a low cost of production. Yeah. Which they both had. By nineteen, by two thousand and nine that differential was $0.75. Cents.
0: So the, the guy ch- that was having nothing was, was getting more reward. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Now, supposedly that was because the processor wanted to flatten the curve. No, yeah. that's not the truth. What occurred is the processor worked out that big farms tend to have a flatter curve. Yeah. Therefore we will invent um, a thing in the payment system called a flat milk incentive which essentially was a pseudo-productivity incentive. Yeah. Now, now my first of August carver is looking at my other person thinking... I shall be there. 75 cents a kilo difference between us. Maybe I should split car. Yeah. Maybe I should do a whole host of things. The carrot is there. And from that moment on, the Victorian dairy industry and Tasmanian dairy industry started losing efficiency at a great rate.
0: Yeah, that might be a controversial statement. That, that, is,
1: that is controversial. Yep. When, when I read yep. when I read the dairy news that says um, that tells me you know the the three or four CEOs that were interviewed at the Australian Dairy Conference and they're all complaining about the industry not growing. Processes have accelerated the demise of the Australian dairy industry, and then they have the audacity to complain that it's not growing. Okay. Phew. You know, let's... let's Now, some of those processes are grabbing the hard ball. Yeah. Changing the payment system to provide the opportunity for every dairy farmer to produce milk in a pattern that's efficient for them, which will help with cost and will help with growth.
0: Yeah, and that, that is something that struck me, John, since I've been here almost about a year now. There is a huge... Range of milk payment options for farmers every at the end of every financial year that they can look at it and say, well, this processor might be offering me m- might suit my system better than the other than, than another processor. And there's actually a, a number of options there, <laughs> depending on what your um, your yeah, pasture yeah. growth curve and the other settings. Yeah, of your and don't are.
1: even don't even go between between processors. I'm just gonna and I won't name processes but within one processor. Uh, I can have two types of payment structures whether I get paid on the fat protein minus volume yeah. or whether I get paid solid so that's two combo yep yeah. I've then got three payment systems around that yeah right so that means I have got I can choose from six combos yeah now so it's pretty complicated life it, doesn't life, life doesn't have to be like that yeah Right. And part of the reason, um, and I've actually just recently looked at the New Zealand system. Yeah. Part of the reason we have too many options is because we have gone into a period in the industry where we're too scared. Yeah. So we put options in front of farmers because we're too scared to come down and say, this is the best thing we need to do because we're scared of losing supply tomorrow. Yeah. Now that has done enormous damage in the industry because it short-term it, yeah, it's crystal thing. clear yeah you know and to give you a this is how silly our industry gets I'll give you two examples. Right at the moment, the world price of butter fat is about two and a half times the price of protein.
0: Yeah, nearly six thousand dollars a ton, yeah.
1: isn't it? Yep. Now, if you look at a milk payment uh, statement for most of the processes in Victoria, we're paying two and a half times the amount for protein that we are for butterfat.
0: Yeah.
1: That's a pretty good message to the farmers. It's exactly the opposite of what the market is saying. And it, now, is the new, market
0: not correcting itself there? I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not no, an expert no, in this I mean, area of No, no, means, no, the market yeah.
1: will correct itself over, over time. But I got, I looked at a February New, new Zealand Fonterra statement and yeah. lo and behold, proteins. I, I think the protein rate is double the. Sorry, the fat rate is double, double the protein, the protein rate. rate. In other words, the Kiwis are telling their farmers precisely what the market is doing. We're too scared.
0: We're is too, that, we're is too that scared creating, a, creating a problem down in the, in the medium term down the track?
1: Well, it's still giving a message that we don't like butter fat and we love yeah. protein. Now, the sensible thing is, and to some processors' credit, they have done it this year, um, they have offered farmers to be paid purely dollars per kilo milk solids. Yeah. Because the market will float on fat and protein. So why not just pay them for their solids? That's right, yeah. And when you see a milk pay statement that's only got one line, and the line says kilograms of solids times so much per kilo it's minus a the volume of you think, how simple is that? Yep. Now, that's the first example. We have a dog's breakfast of that. The second example is how sensible is it to pay your supply base a very, very low spring price, yep. a very, very high autumn-winter price to the point where your suppliers can't pay their bills in spring, so therefore you give them what's called a winter
0: advance loan yeah it doesn't make much sense all right when you put it like that we've lost the plot
1: so <laughs> so i mean that, that but but you're exactly in terms of come back to the marginal milk in 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 terms of evaluating the economics of marginal milk and if bill malcolm heard me he use that word he'd kill me but yeah the ratio because you need to do that every year um, you look at your annual price and let's say, and I'm going to have a punt and say, 1920 milk price
0: $6.60. Yep, that sounds about
1: what people right? seem to be talking at the moment. So, it? 660 cents. Grain at 400 oh. bucks a tonne. It's it's not bad. Yep. The ratio is okay. Yep. So I'm not going to cut my marginal milk too much. Yeah. And if I don't grow grass, I'm going to be carefully evaluating you know, holding my production, because I'll never make as much money as I would have if I'd grown the grass. Yeah. Okay. So that's the overarching look at the marginal milk. But I will definitely want to know the value of my milk every month. Yeah. Because I'll have a value of supplement every month, I'll have a value of milk every month, and therefore I can make some very sensible feeding decisions. Yeah. The only problem with that is that the processors, again in their wisdom, have linked the price of milk in certain months to other months. That's adding now a complexity Now I need a packet of Panadol to try and yeah. make the decision. So, so look, in summary, with the marginal milk, I think um, people have to understand that very clear concept of marginal milk. They have to understand that in some years that investment—and let's say I invest a hundred grand in um, in grain—in some years that will return me a hundred and sixty grand, very good investment. Yeah. Right? Not many investments do that. Yeah. But in other years it will return me a hundred and ten.
0: Yeah. Or indeed, on some farms it may not even break even. Yeah, and
1: I'm I'm assuming good. Daily eyeballs, yeah. Good daily eyeballs, or some way of evaluating that. Now yeah. I do it arithmetically, and I do it with eyeballs. Yeah. Some farmers have a beautiful intuitive skill. Yeah. And I, this is, I always something really, that's very hard to teach people. Think, uh, incredibly parents, hard to yeah. teach, and and, I, and there's this one this client I've had for uh, her whole dairy career, and 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 I said, and she doesn't do much figure work, right? And I said, "How do you test? How do you test the system? Do you drop grain out? Um, and she said, "No, no, no, because the cows collapse when I do that quite often. so but what I do is um, I'll give them less grass, and if they absolutely thump a paddock and yeah. leave a really low residual and the vat drops a bit, I'll know I'm in about the right spot. Now, you couldn't get a better description yeah. of being at the right part of that marginal curve of the law of diminishing returns. Yeah,
0: because what they're maximising the pastures without thumping the paddock too much. Yeah, 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 yeah. and and, and yeah.
1: definitely watching the daily behaviour. Yeah, to make sure that um, that we're online. Yeah, you know we're in the right spot. So, and and the reason I think, and there are two or three consultants around who. Are openly anti-grain. Yeah, and this is the confusing thing for dairy farmers. you be straying into some controversy again here today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's okay. That's okay. And they're very good. They're very good advisors. But why are they anti-grain? Because they have seen so many dairy businesses go down the gurgler because, because of the inefficient because, use because of grain. Because of the inefficient yeah. use of grain. Now, when you sit with people who have had inefficient use of grain and and the focus has gone off past you to the point where we're buying grain and we're not applying yeah. fertiliser, yeah. Right? when you sit with people in those situations, you can understand why you develop a philosophy sometimes where, I don't want
0: to... It's too risky. It's too risky. To keep away from it. Keep yeah. away from Just it. We'll, keep, we'll and keep you on Get the... a moderate return every yeah, year. Now, now yeah.
1: I would like to think that of all the dairy farmers I deal with, I have people who feed half a tonne of grain, I have people yeah. who feed three tonne. Yeah. I don't care.
0: Yeah. As long as they As long as
1: they understand the principles upon yeah. which they're operating their business. Yeah. And that's, that's why when we run dairy farm business analysis course, To me, it's not necessarily a data-crunching course. It's uh, it's
0: about understanding systems. Principles. Yeah.
1: Principles which can be applied to systems.
0: Well, thank you very much, John, for that. I think that was some really interesting and uh, thought-provoking debate there and discussion, so I really appreciate uh, your time and um, being able to join us on on this first podcast today.
1: It's a pleasure, Rory. Let's uh, hope marginal milk next year is very profitable.
0: Yes, exactly right. Yeah, and thanks everyone for listening, and uh, stay tuned for for future podcasts and more topics uh, and discussions like this. Um, until next time, thank you.